Welcome to Black Diplomats. This is Mike. I am not the new host. I am the rarely heard producer. I think you've heard my voice once on this feed, which is as it should be, but we're going to do a little something special today, a little something interesting. Terrell is on the move. He, As we all know, he's a world traveler. And so we're going to actually do an episode today where I interview Terrell about all the projects that we've been working on and his plans for the near future and sort of what's going on with Black Diplomats for the rest of this year. But as we all know, there's only one first question to a Black Diplomats interview, which is, Terrell, how are you doing? (laughs) Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. It feels, it's an interesting feeling to be interviewed on my own podcast and to have you do it, but I'm good. I just celebrated my birthday yesterday. I'm in Paris. I came here to meet a good friend of mine, Tina who is going to be a part of the Fleeing Ukraine While Black series that will come out later this year. We'll talk more about that. But our birthdays are several days apart. Mine is on May 27th and hers is May 31st. So we spent uh, a few days together here in Paris and got a chance to catch up with her. I'm actually feeling great because I am, I'm in Paris, dude. I know it's, you know, it's, it's a beautiful weather. And I'm doing all the typical touristy stuff and eating escargot, which is my favorite meal. That's the only, one of the only dishes I've eaten since I've been here. And I feel good personally. I feel good spiritually. And I feel very optimistic about the future, uh, particularly this show. I love it. That's good news. You always you always talk about mental health and what people do sort of to preserve their own mental health. And I just would like to hear you talk about that, because the way you know, it's I think that's how you get to the point of asking people about their own sort of the way they take care of themselves is because you also do the things you're describing that they do, which is dealing with heavy subjects all the time, you know, dealing with social media as a part of your sort of personal and professional life, which is just like, just very stressful all by itself. Even if you don't have a job on top of that, I mean, you, you sort of, you know, and at times we're going to talk about this here pretty soon. You have lived in a war zone over the last couple of years. So what do you do to, to take care of yourself and to keep yourself sort of mentally in, in a position to be able to continue to do this work? So the foundation of my well-being is based on the f- fact that I know I belong in this work. I belong in Ukraine. I belong in this environment. So I feel like I'm built for it. It's a calling. And when something is a calling, then it feels natural for you to be in situations that other people make it sort of dangerous. That is 80% of the battle. And the other part is you have to have a, I'm always an optimistic person. And you know, it's about me. I see the best in all people. I don't tolerate foolishness, but I do see that. I believe that people can change. I believe that there's more positivity in the world than there is negativity. I believe that if we could sit down and talk with each other, have conversations and within reason, of course, uh, that is that 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 gives me hope and the work that i do is all based on 
really believing that things and people can change or even if people choose to be hard-headed the change that's necessary to move beyond these evil people and these evil doors will prevail and everyone else overall will succeed so that leads me in regards to myself i i take care of my body i eat well i eat properly i am planning on doing yoga in ukraine so one of the things that i've been doing over the next few uh, last few days is searching for for yoga instructors in kiev um and finding a, a person who would do uh flexibility courses because i'm trying to do a full split by my next birthday by 44 my goal is to do a full <laughs> middle split and full side splits and like you don't have enough things to do you're also working on splits <laughs> love so it on splits and so and continuing my swim lessons and so i'm planning my life in ukraine where i plan on staying through the rest of this year and the rest of 2024 so i and when I wake up, I have things to do in addition to this job and also taking care of my body. I think that's important because when you I, physically I, when you feel good, I think everything else comes into play. And I think creators spend a lot of time exercising their minds and using these big, fancy words, but they don't exercise their bodies and their physical well-being and they let their bodies go. A lot of people have let their bodies go. And when you let your body go, all this, it doesn't matter how much genius and brilliance you have you're not going to be operational because you're dealing with illnesses and you're dealing with things that, that, that your body can't handle. So you have to take, you have to do maintenance on your body, like you do on your vehicle, like you do on your house. And I just find it interesting that people maintain all of these other things well, instead of their bodies and instead of their minds, which is why I always ask people that because it often surprises them. They usually are taken mm -hmm. aback, and sometimes I send the question in advance just so it won't throw them off. Because usually when people <laughs> are asked that question, they get into their work, and I want to interject and say, "Wait, I'm asking about you, you, right?" Because in America, we spend so much time thinking about ourselves. Yeah, well, I'm sorry, thinking about our work because so much of who we are is connected to our jobs but how are you sleeping like what are you eating today are you do you drink water in the morning or only when you're dying wow. <laughs> like, i mean i think these are sort of you know these are important questions that there's not you know the sort of the the way they're reinforced in cultures through a sort of um is not is not sort of uh through loving care is not through concern no nope. so you're on the way to ukraine yeah I think we all sort of have a, a general sense of why you're going to Ukraine, but you have a lot of very specific intentions for the next year and a half, dude. Talk about that. I mean, that's embedded. I'm going to go to Ukraine to continue covering the war. I just bought a flag jacket. And mm -hmm. by the way, for all of you foreign correspondents out there, note that the U.S. does not mail flag jackets to Ukraine or I don't think elsewhere. So I tried to mail mine. So I ended up putting it in my check luggage. I'm going, yeah, so, <laughs> so I'm going to Ukraine to cover the war. I will be, uh, I have my media credential that gives me permission to go out with troops. So I'll be going to the South and to the East, depending on which unit I'm with. So I hope, hopefully I'll be out, be doing a couple of trips per month. 
out to the front. So that means spending anywhere from three days to a week um, documenting what's going on wherever I'll be. And so mm-hmm. before when the war started, I didn't have the media credential to go out with the regular army. And so all of those dispatches you saw were we, me with territorial defense units who are volunteers and they were in the Kiev region. And so now it's different. I First of all, I have more items besides my phone. I'm, I'm fully locked. Um, and I want to thank everybody for all their support. I was able to buy a lot of the things that I need to do my job. And I have all kinds of equipment to shoot video. So that's another element that you all see coming forward. A lot of video from the field, a lot of video diaries. Everyone seemed to like those. So diaries of regular life in around Ukraine, because people think that all of it is a war zone and everybody is, all of the buildings are soot written and have craters, you know, near, near them. And that's not true. So you're going to be seeing a lot of regular lifestyle um, video coming out of Ukraine, which Mike will be editing. Um, because it doesn't, you know, everything that you hear and everything that you see, I don't have the skill set to do that. That's all Mike. Um, and so you, so that's, that's the thing. So a lot of black diplomats that's going to be up and coming is going to be focused on stories, um, on the ground. And I think that's what made me really pop, uh, at the beginning of the war because I was in Ukraine. So that's the reason why I'm going back. It's really important for me to be on the ground to tell people what's going on. And I need to go back to you to the United States to get a break um, from it and to recalibrate and to build the infrastructure for black diplomats. Another thing that we got going on is we, we're, I'm going through Europe right now. I'm in Paris uh, and it was for my vacation to celebrate, you know, to, to celebrate my birthday, but I'm also working. So I'll be going to Switzerland. I'll be going to Berlin and Warsaw as well. And I'll be continuing to do reporting on the Fleeing While Black series. Uh, you all knew last year about the Black people who were fleeing the war and how they were treated and the racism that they experienced. And so I've never stopped covering that. We're continuing to do that work. And so I'm going to do some follow-up interviews that will really flesh out what's going on because what, I don't think that we've seen a really comprehensive uh, um, documentary style type of journalism that read that really goes into the depth and breadth of what these people experience and more in this and more so beyond Ukraine, but also what happens to these refugees once they enter uh, the European Union. And exactly this piece became it started as you reporting about, you know, black in Ukraine, which is something that you've talked about before. And we've interviewed black people living in Ukraine before this emergency situation and, and, you know, having that conversation about being black in Europe and, and traveling while black, like these are all conversations that we've had in the past. But then it seemed like when you went to report on this specific sort of situation of people trying to flee this, you know, this unique experience, this particular environment, it, it became it very clear that sort of reporting on like the racism that people were experiencing in any given sort of, you know, border checkpoint or whatever was really underplaying the story. And, and it became a story about being black in Europe, about being a refugee in Europe. And it became a larger story that sort of, that, that moved outside of this emergency 
experience and became about a, a larger sort of experience and a larger sort of cultural reality there that just really felt like it needed a little more attention and a little more time. And for, and also for you to be able to, to take the time to wrap your head around and get the right interviews to be able to tell a story that is really a continent-sized story, not a country-sized story or a train station-sized story. Yeah, that's the thing, Mike. Uh, you're right about that. I think we originally believed that we could drop this on the one year anniversary of the war. And the more we started working, uh, plus we have other projects going on. We realized that that one year mark was unrealistic because of capacity for one thing, but also there was more of the story that needed to be told. And you're right. Uh, I think that the media attention to the train stations and the border uh, really stole uh, I would I don't want to say stole. I would say it, it it's not the whole story because this story is much more complex than the viral videos of students being pushed off train, which is a very real thing, right? Because had we just stopped there, I, one we would have been repeating what everyone else is saying. Number two, um, we would not have gone into the wider story about about the fact that so much of what happened or what's going on with these people it predated the invasion that's the first thing and two i didn't want this to be a whole conversation about racism in ukraine because i think that it really it, it it requires a lot more nuance and that of course they experience racism and listen we've listened to the audio the stories that these african students and these black ukrainians um it, it, you know told us where it was really terrifying and shocking but the reality of it is that the racism didn't stop in ukraine well you can't tell the story of jim crow like as it happened in alabama and like just not mention anywhere else i mean that's not you, you know, because you, there's no escape. I think that's part of it is that ultimately there isn't, you know, there isn't sort of a, a safe place where you can just sort of be guaranteed that they're not going to run into these yeah. issues. And there's also issues in with just being refugees. Many of them are Nigerian, you know, sort of their their passports are Nigerian. I mean, there's so many different sort of layers of complication here. Um, it's, it's going to be a really, it's going to be a fantastic yeah. series. We've been working on it for a while and you've done a lot of really great interviews. It's going to be a fantastic series. And we're going to, and we're continuing to do the stories, right? Because there are so many things that's happened past is, you know, is going into a year and a half in a lot of these. I'm curious about when I go back to Poland and going to Germany, how well the, how have these people settled? Another element we're going to add to it is how. Uh, is talking to a lot of non-black Ukrainians, basically, right? You know what? At, what were their experiences like? And 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 really, and uh, some of these people, they're my friends. A lot of these people, I helped to help to uh, leave Ukraine. And what do they think about their experiences of getting out versus the other black people? What versus black people I've been communicating with, right? And actually introducing the fact that I, as a black person help them to get across these borders in ways that if I were a Nigerian who would care as much about them, you know, as I did, or, or an American passport holder, how would they have been met along with you, right? So what made me help them to get across 
the border easier was my U.S. passport. And and then there are so many European Union policies that discriminate against Black people, against non-white people, that that story also has to be told. And more then also there are a lot of complications with with a lot of people that we spoke with. So as easy as they easily as they discussed the racism, they all told me that they felt like Putin was the trigger to all of this. They knew that the racism when it was in Ukraine, it was across Europe, but as angry and as hurt as they were about the racism that they experienced, they hoped that their stories and telling me and using my platform would, would move Ukraine to make better changes so that the type of experiences that they had won't be duplicated, or at least uh, the country will be actively responding to the series and responding to their stories, and hopefully something constructive will come out of it. So there was a lot of care that a lot of these people took in explaining what happened to them. And so I think a lot of people aren't expecting that and don't want to expect that because they just want me to just, I don't know, I don't, I, simplistically, I guess, trash the country and say, this is screwed up, this country is fucked up. But that's not exactly what these Ukrainians and these Nigerians, many of them told me. They felt hurt, they felt a lot of pain, and they still are, because they all like the country. And this is more mm -hmm. of a conversation, they love the country. There's one woman I interviewed in Portugal who sang the Ukrainian national anthem in Ukrainian who at the same time, you know, she did this in, in a, in a Instagram post following my interview with her, but in my conversations with her, she burst out in tears about how she was treated. So you could, so there, so there is a dichotomy there that it just takes more time. This is life, dude. I complain about America all day and love many, many people who live there. You know, it's, I mean, that's it's the just, thing, Right. This is life. We, yeah, and, and so I want us to take the time to flesh out the nuances in that. And I'm happy that because this is my platform, I own it. And like this is us on the mic. Like no one is rushing us to do anything until we're fully ready to do it. And so that's the crux of it, man. Like I'm going to I, I'm excited about these next trips to, you know, I was speaking with Tina and even just talking to her to her this past weekend. She gave me even more stories about her experiences yeah. because she's a translator at a refugee camp where she once was a refugee herself, right? You know, where, where and, and, yeah. and she, and she, and then I have friends in Germany who given me some updates about what it's like to get residency papers there. Well, and this is part of what makes it works too, is like you have an extremely well-honed, sense of of a story you know and and of the interview that you want to get and the story that you want to tell and you know the lady who's now working at the place where she used to be a refugee like that's that's professional grade shit <laughs> you know and you have a very well honed sort of sense of that stuff your razor is very sharp all right, let's move from this from this Ukraine thing you got to get out this is your last night in Paris as i understand it we've been Back to the the news show, which has been really nice. It's been really great to you know to watch you get back to flexing that muscle. But we're gonna take a break next week, and then the following week we're gonna start uh, uh, a five part series about Iran. 
And uh, it's big news today. Uh, Taliban and Iran are are apparently having some border skirmishes. But we're doing a five-part series about Iran that is... You know, because another one of your your uh, particular expertises is around the nuclear field, and so we've talked a lot around the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, also known as the Iran Deal, and around nuclear weapons versus nuclear power, and also just ab- about the sort of political situation and the way that we talk about that country here in the United States. So I want to hear from you a little bit. We're now we're we're almost done with that series. We've got most of the episodes are pretty much done. We've sent them around for fact checking and to sort of make sure people feel good about them and everybody's very positive. You and I feel really good about them. So I think we're we're safe to start talking about the Iran series. Yeah, we are. So we've been working hard on this series for well over a year. I feel like it's almost like a year and a half or so. We. I've all so what what it's about is a five part series. We're still going to name it. We're we're still figuring out the name for it. But basically, what the series is about is we are really challenging how how America screwed up screwed up its relationship with Tehran and opportunities missed. And so the goal of the series is to help Americans realize how very racist, xenophobic uh, foreign policy. Uh, towards Iran has has allowed us to miss opportunities to form better relations better relations with the region with the country when it had leaders that were amicable to a to, to building positive relations with the U.S. And so the series setup is I interview five Iranians and no white men. I'm not talking about Iran experts. Iranians. Many, several of them are born and ra- born in Iran and later moved over to the United States. But the expertise includes music, po- political science, history. Um, and then we also have a black Iranian woman who's in the mix. And then we have uh, Iranian journalists. And so from those perspectives, they're going to explain Iran as they know it through their lens and they're educating me. And so usually when you have these type of series really uh, talking about a place like Iran or any place in the Middle East, it's usually some some person from D.C., from some think tank who's really explaining the country through their U.S. lens, which is all which which almost always have an imperial mindset in it. And so this approach that I'm doing is I am amplifying the voice of the Iranians. And so they're talking to you. I'm just narrating off of what the Iranians uh, have told me for this series. And so so they're going to be they're educating me in each episode. And then in turn, um, we will be informing you. And so I think that approach is uncommon. And I think that that approach in the way that we set it up is really going to center how Iranians believe that, you know, and by the way, these Iranians are American, you know, U.S. citizens and how they believe that we should be viewing this country. And it's very complex. It's very nuanced. They're going to be talking about the politics of the politics of Iran is actually very diverse. And you're going to there's going to be a lot of nuance in this series. 
And I feel like that's what's missing about Iran. And it's going to be told in that black diplomat style, right? It's going to be about me talking, you know, me exploring my own differences and the own biases that I had about Iran before. And, and because I'm comfortable exploring that openly, hopefully you all will, will take, will walk away from this series, believing that your stereotypes or your views will change and shift because at the grand scheme of things, what we all want is a better relationship with Iran. I think that the U.S. botched it, screwed it up. And we're going to, in these five Iranians that I interview, we're going to walk through all of it and, and, and most importantly, leave with ideas about how things can be better. You know, I think that in this, we're sort of, we, we have this future of AI coming quickly down the pike and we're living in this world of misinformation and disinformation and deep fakes and you know the media as as you and I as you as you, the media that you and I grew up with is not prepared to engage with the world as it exists now and that's been obvious for quite a while you know i think that's uh, they they still haven't really figured out how to talk about donald trump even though they've had several years <laughs> to sort of stop taking this guy at face value you know but so i think that there is there's a question right now about what the future of media looks like and about how we're we're supposed to deal with all of this and i think that you know you are one of very few people who's offering a real genuine approach you know, and this idea that sometimes journalists can be protesters and and sometimes protesters can be journalists. And the question is not, do you have bias? The question is, are you willing or are you not willing to label your bias and sort of work with it and sort of, of, of present the evidence and your analysis as it's happening in a way that other people can relate to and in a way that other people can listen and sort of say, okay, that sounds authentic to me. Right. And being able to, to I think that that is something that you are doing and that you are willing to do in a way that just very few people are. And I think that that is what the future of journalism looks like, you know, is people being willing to be open and sort of out about because this is, you know, these conversations, you're not against white people you're against colonialism you're against fascism like and if a person can't openly state out loud that they are against fascism and colonialism then they that then something is broken in their job something is broken if they if they feel that way personally but you can't say that out loud then something is broken in your job you know, and I think that that the way you're approaching this conversation about Iran, we're interviewing Iranians, and I'm pretty sure every single one of them says the regime, the current regime in Iran, should fall. All of them, right? But we're going to. But one of the responses, you know, to this potentially to this is that we are somehow defending Iran, or that they are somehow defending Iran, and I think that that sort of just like stupid dumbing down of the conversation, just in a lot of ways, has to just be fucking ignored, man. <laughs> you know, like we just have to build a sort of different world, a different media landscape and a different sort of analysis that is more open source, you know, where we're sharing our sources, we're sharing our links, you know, people can go and follow everybody that we interview is on Twitter. You can go follow them on Twitter. And if you disagree with the way we've presented them, then that information is open source and that conversation can be had. But, but, but traditional media is not used to open source approaches to journalism. It's very top down. 
And that comes from the hierarchy of the legacy media system. Because remember, the before social media, the most that people could do if they wanted to protest CBS was to go in front of the building in New York with placards and yell and shout and hope that the CEO comes out the front door where she probably doesn't or she probably doesn't. So <laughs> now social media, the power of that has empowered us to be something greater than the writing a letter to the editor ever could do. And, and, right. and we are taking, we're challenging uh, our media institutions to do better because they, they definitely call themselves the fifth estate, but at the same time, they see themselves as an extension of government, but don't want to be held to the same accountability as the government. And, yeah. and with the work that we do in the approach is I'm very transparent about who I am, about my politics. I don't pretend to be quote unquote objective. I plan on being fair. I, I've always been fair, i.e. this is what I think you could take it or leave it. And so with the people who are part of this series, they engaged the public often. That's part of, and that's part of the reason why I selected them because they're very accessible and they believe that part of their mission is to step beyond the academy, the think tank world or wherever world that they're a part of and talk to the rest of us. And I think that we need a lot of that with our uh, all of our media networks, because as I think one of the main problems that we have with this information is that our traditional media networks. One, they refuse to accept the world as it is, as you said before. The reality of it is that with a person like Donald Trump with this disastrous town hall, and we talked about that in the last episode, is that you meet our traditional media says that everybody is an equal player. And that's just simply not the case. It's never been the case, to be quite honest with you. Um, there's never an equal, you know, I wouldn't think that segregationists in the South were quote unquote fair players. Right. So, 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 so when you think about the Jim Crow South, there is nothing objective to report about it other than it was fucked up. There's nothing objective to report about slavery. There's nothing objective to report about the Holocaust. There's nothing objective to report about the ways about the internment of Japanese Americans. There's nothing objective to talk about when we think about the ways in which the West has colonized much of the freaking world, right? And and apply that to the Holodomor and apply that to yeah. Ukraine. I mean, it's an, it's not that complicated to figure out. We don't have to be sort of like relying on Cold War stereotypes to look and say, like, there's a history of colonialism here, and I don't want to be the, on the side of that. Yeah, and I think that we, and, and with Black diplomats, what we do a good job of is... We we not only do we take this really academic term of colonialism and, and, and call it for what it is, we explain it, we detail it. And, and 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 colonialism impacts people of all races, all backgrounds. And one of the reasons why I'm going back to Ukraine is that the stories I tell from the ground will show what colonialism looks like in action. Right. It, it, it will show you. And I'll be able to be on the ground to talk to people about how that's impacting them. And you'll you'll hear the sounds, you'll see the people. And I'm really proud of the fact that I'll be able to go back and continue to tell these stories with, with in greater depth 
than I could before because ultimately when that war started, that was the first time I was in that type of environment. And you really see what you're made of because quite honestly, everyone can't do that type of work. And it takes a particular type of mind and a particular type of grit and stomach to be able to have a life in that type of place. And I'm going to be closing out basically, uh, I, I guess I could say, I'm going to be covering the 2016 election. I'm sorry, 2024 election, I'm eight years uh, behind. Uh, 2024 presidential election from the perspective of foreign policy, focusing on Iran, focusing on Ukraine and focusing on Israel and Palestine because we have some good stuff coming up on that, but that's another, we know we've gone on on about that, but I'm really excited about Black Diplomats and what we're doing because we, I feel like the show format, people are positively responding to it. And there's a bit more, somebody described it to me as there's a period to period, period to once the points are made, you know, there's a period and then we're going on to something else. So people enjoy structure mm -hmm. and they like the fact that I explain things where it's just me talking and then I lead into a feature interview. And so I'm very proud of that. And I'm also proud of this, these new series, these feature series that we're doing. And so once this once this Iran series comes out, this is going to be the first feature like feature length series that we do um, that's narrated, that has music, that has a lot of sound mixing. I'm just really excited about it. And I'm, you know, we're 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 a week or so away from getting everything done, and then you'll start seeing the promos for it soon. It's it's really, really great. And I'm I'm just so excited about it. So when you tweeted Year, several years ago, I want to start a podcast. And I emailed you the next day. I was like, yo, I don't know if you already have people you want to work with or what you're like, you know, I don't know the depths of this. I just saw the tweets, but I know how to make a podcast. So if you want to make a podcast, you can holler at me, we'll make a podcast, you know. And I said in that first email, the one thing I promise to never do is to tell to like ask you to tone it down. Tone it the fuck up, dude. You're right about all of this, you know? And as we've worked and as we've done, this is going to be, I think, episode 70. I yeah. believe this conversation we're having now, I think, is going to be the 70th episode of, of Black Diplomats. And as we've done it and, and you know, spent several years now working on it and evolved it and, and fit new concepts within Black Diplomats, you know, you've been right. All along, like your, you know, both your instincts and your professional acumen and the work that you put in and your, you know, sort of spiritual and philosophical, you know, presence in this in this conversation. All of that shit has been on point, man. I love you and I love this show and I'm very proud of the work that we've done together. And uh, I look forward to doing 70 more at least. Oh, of course, we're going to do way more than 70 more. I love you too, man. And this show would not be possible without you doing all of your magic with the sound and helping me out overall because these shows are really difficult you can't especially with these new series that we're working on it, it takes a lot of time it takes a lot of effort and as i'm continuing to raise money and ask for people's support uh for it um we really um, we need more staff in order to, you know, uh, to, to, to do a lot of these projects because the, the scale, um, it just requires more hands, but we've been able to continue on, um, because, you know, one, I, I believe in what we're doing and the show has so much potential 
and you and you're a big part of that, Mike. And so I'm I'm looking forward to these next couple of weeks. And uh, I am looking forward to when I finally arrive in Ukraine and at the end of June, because the next couple of weeks are going to be spectacular. And, and you're going to see black diplomats at a level that we have not uh, that we really have not um, shown before. But we've been working on over the past few months. And and, and it, it's all I can tell you is going to be great. I don't think we can get any better than that. Go out. Enjoy your last night in Paris, yeah. my friend. I'll talk to you soon. Got to go get this job.